Praise the Lord. Good evening, everyone. Um, you know, in formal events, we talk about standing on existing protocols. Eh? Me, I want to stand under the cover of the existing prayers that Pastor has released here. Prayers for wisdom, for knowledge, for, for new levels. And just trust God that as I speak today, um, not just yourselves, but I would also grow out of this experience. And um, God will be glorified. So I want to speak today about charting your path. Um, please don't mind if, you know, we prepare these PowerPoints, but I refuse to be bound by them. So don't mind if, you know, I'm talking a bit different from my slides. But I want to go to the first one. Our media team, next slide. Uh, we can't see it. So let me just tell you the beginning of the story. As a teenager, my mother came home one day with a movie called A Woman of Substance by Barbara Taylor Bradford. I don't know if we're familiar with it, but it was a beautiful film and it spoke to me. I believed as young as I was that as I looked at that young lady, I could see myself. And that was when I made up my mind that I'm not going to work for anybody. I'm going to run a business and I'm going to build a big business that will last. If you had asked me for several years, what that business will be doing, I had absolutely no idea. And it didn't really matter. I just knew that this is what I wanted to do. But at some point in time, as I was doing my first MBA, my husband and I came to this um, agreement, actually, that he, he was a lecturer. So really, today you have a microbiologist and a zoologist who are running an engineering company. But we had agreed that he would continue to teach and then I would go and get a job with one of the banks that was coming into the East at that point in time. And in the name of love, it sounded good. Except that I was sitting in an interview panel one day and I asked myself, what are you doing here? How does this look like a woman of substance? And I got up and I walked out. And I said to him, this is not the dream that I had. And I think I want to stick to my dream. And we talked about it. We agreed. Both of us had been doing one or two little things back and forth, and so we decided to start a company. That company we decided to start in 1994. We incorporated it on the 17th of February, 1994, and we opened our doors for business on the 4th of June, 1994 in Port Harcourt. We decided to go into the oil and gas industry. And there's no science around this, so I'm sorry I don't have a better story to tell as to how we enter the oil and gas industry. It just seemed to be the most robust and vibrant industry that we thought we could make a success in very quickly. Very wrong that we were, very naive that we were. But we put the money we had together. And you know, everybody said, if you want to be taken seriously, you have to be located on the major road, on Aba Road specifically. So, silly us. The little money we had went and rented a place on Abar Road that we could ill afford, and we could not even do much more after that. We couldn't afford furniture, so the little money we had, we went to the second-hand market in Abar. We bought some old velvet fabric, we bought some old, an old mattress, we bought um, these plastic download tiles and Evo stick, and we came back to our beautiful office on Abar Road, and we had to pour the Evo stick and stick the tiles. I cut the, cushion, the fabric in circles and sewed them around, turned them inside out, and then stuffed them with shredded bits of the mattress so that my chairs would have cushions and so on and so forth. And we did all these things because 
we just believed in ourselves. We didn't think past, you know, what did the office look like, how shabby it was. It didn't matter to us. We had arrived, we're going to do something, and we're going to make a success of it. But there were a few issues. So first of all was that we're opening a business. We had absolutely no business experience, apart from one or two supplies. We knew nothing about running a business, except that yours truly was fresh out of an MBA. And if there's any accountant in the house, any accountant, show of hands. So one thing an accountant would tell you is that all those nice things we solve on the textbook, when you enter the office, is very different, right? So the same way we found out that all the book knowledge that we, I had garnered, we were seeing different things um, when we got into um, the sector. So we came into Port Harcourt, we set up an office, we had no business. We now had to go and start trying to register and so on and so forth. And there we were, not even understanding what the industry was like. Not understanding the implications of where the economy was at for the business. And having no money to even hire people that knew these things and perhaps could then teach us. We were just, my husband, myself, a typist, and then a cleaner who we also called a clerk. And that's where we started from, as Falcon Petroleum in 1994. Why did we call ourselves Falcon Petroleum? Well, first of all, Falcon was a reflection of a bird that is resilient, that is dogged, a bird that was going to, is able to soar to great heights. I mean, it's a strong bird, so it reflected what we wanted to build. But petroleum for us was because, as far as we knew, everybody in the oil and gas sector has petroleum after their name. Let's be honest. I liked, I so love being honest. It's just the best way to go. That's why we, were, we had petroleum. And it created so many problems for us, even in terms of perception, because everybody thought we're this big company. And then there we were with my one suit that I had and my husband's one suit that, we, that he had, every day going to chase for jobs of 200 naira, 5,000 naira, 2,000 naira as Falcon Petroleum. Interesting times. We had to eat humble pie time and time again as we got into a lot of spaces and found the people there were, you know, my husband's students, for instance, who have been employed in Shell. And then your lecturer is coming with his one briefcase begging you for something. But this is one of the key things that even the Word of God tells us that if you humble yourself in due time, you will be exalted. When we started, we had thought that um, we were going to copy something someone else was doing because somebody that we knew had started to do lubricants. And it looked like he was doing well. And so we decided, okay, this is an interesting thing. This is what we're going to do. Many things played out that the people we thought we'd partner with pulled out. And there we were stuck with a big name and nothing to do, no partners, nothing. So this is what led us to decide that Whatever the cost, because we believe that there's something in us, we'll do whatever it takes. So I have today um, copies of my LPOs where we supplied paper, we supplied mops, we, I mean, we, uh, I can tell you the stories, huh? Those were the days when all we could afford to eat was bully and fish. Those were the days when I could barely feed my child. And so I used to dilute his milk because I wasn't sure where I would get 400 naira for the next tin of milk. Those were the days when I would be rushing back from hospital. I only had one packet of Pampers that was so precious to me I could afford Pampers. One. And I would rush back because I don't want my child to pee so that hopefully I can use it again. Those were tough days. 
But we just decided to keep trying, to keep going. And the times we had the opportunity to offer service, we gave everything. We were project managers for everything. It didn't matter what we didn't know. If we could hire somebody to help us, we would then stay there and oversee what the person was doing. Time and again, we had to go and park our one car. It was a very special car. That car was a sophisticated car that needed to be parked at an angle. Yeah, it was, the, it was, you know, the car had a particular taste. Because if you didn't pack it like that, it wouldn't cooperate with you and start. Okay? So, we had to park that our beautiful Jalopy with community banks time and again to be able to raise 10,000, 10, 20,000 to deliver on a job. We couldn't afford a house. So, how do we start out in Port Harcourt? We had a friend who was a factory supervisor, and she was always on the night shift in Michelin then. And she offered us her house to share her space with her, since she would leave the, off the house about 8 p.m., and she wouldn't come back till about 6 a.m. the next morning. And so our one possession was our mattress, which was standing at the side of her room. And when she left, we'll hang around outside. When she left, we'll come in, sleep. Then the morning, we put it up again and leave. I'm telling you this because it's important you understand that when you see the glorious stories, we're all coming from somewhere. And you don't give up on yourself because the God that knows the end from the beginning, he has sorted you out. Just trust him. Today, on the 4th of June, this year, Falcon marked 20 years of active, not that we ever shut down, we have been going for 20 years. Today, we are Falcon Corporation. We did a rebranding earlier this year. We changed our business name um, <clears throat> to reflect the things that we're doing. We changed our logo, so many things. Today, Falcon is a company that is well known for engineering, procurement, and construction. We do pipeline construction and some other services. Today, Falcon is the operator of the Korodu Natural Gas Distribution Franchise. Today, Falcon is a major employer of labor. Today, Falcon is a player in an industry where, I repeat, a microbiologist and a zoologist ordinarily had no business minus the grace of God. It's not possible that we would spend this short time and me be able to drill and distill 20 years of issues. But there are some things I want to leave with us today. One is that a lot of the time I'm asked, or people come to me and say, hey, I want to enter oil and gas, I want to enter oil and gas. And my first question is always, what do you want to do? And I've said time and again that, you know, if you understand the oil and gas industry, you understand that the person that supplies stationery to Chevron is in the oil and gas industry. Do you understand that? So when you come and you say, I want to get into oil and gas, it's a big question. And... I thought that today I would spend a few minutes, because it's my sector, to just very quickly scope the oil and gas industry. Next slide. I'm sorry it's not very clear. So essentially, there's three broad sectors. We have the upstream, we have the transportation, and the downstream. And every single one of these sectors has a whole array of services. Go to the next slide, please. Okay, again, this is, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I thought it would be sharper than this. But let me take this from this angle. You have three major players in the oil and gas industry. You have the tier one players who are the operators, that's exploration, production, the big boys. And then you have those that position as the major contractors and consultants. And then you have the tier three people who are the subcontractors, subconsult, the subs to the subs fall into tier three. 
at every point in time, when you say you want to enter oil and gas industry, it's a question of where, which one. Are you talking of coming in tier one, tier two, or tier three? And then there's a special group of people that offer support services. And they offer on tier one, on tier two, on tier three. Which one is it that you want to play in? And this for me is important because when we're thinking oil and gas, when we're thinking about any business, we have to be specific and we have to be willing to do the research and get the knowledge and not just look at somebody else's success and think this is what I want to do. Can I share with you how we entered into gas business? So here's my husband and I, we've managed to go and convince somebody that we are competent to do borehole projects. Some of the borehole projects that the World Bank was giving out, somebody had gotten about 50 and he was um, interested enough to say, okay, I'll give you two, let's try. We lived in Port Harcourt. These projects were in Oji River in Enugu State. And every morning, my husband and I would enter a bus from Port Harcourt down to Oji at the roundabout. At the roundabout, we'll come down and enter Okadas or smaller taxis where you can see the floor from inside the taxi. And he would go to the site called Inye, and I would go to the site called Olo. And we became project managers for these two projects. Learning things about drilling we knew absolutely nothing about, but determined that if we did this too well, more would come to us, whatever it took. At the end of the day, every day, tired as we were, enter another set of transport vehicles by bus all the way back to Port Harcourt. It was harrowing, but something happened. As we went along most days, we would see the skylines orange and wondering, ah, what is this? Are there, what's going on here? Are there fires or what? And this is how somebody said to us, no, this is gas flaring. Some of us hear things, we just leave it there. It's actually God telling you, opportunity. Opportunities are always around you, except that sometimes you get so used to them, you don't see. Sometimes you see and there's apathy, or sometimes you see and there's fear. We saw, we were interested, we began to ask questions. And as tiny as we were, with the resources we didn't have, the connections we didn't have, we began to make presentations to, we did the research first to find out what is flaring, what is gas, how can you stop it, what kind of role can we play, and then we began to make presentations and presentations and presentations. We walked into places where people laughed, because clearly, where did these ones come from? And people will always laugh at you, but you need to believe in yourself. And you need to keep pushing because I can promise you nobody's laughing now. We kept pushing until somebody decided to take us seriously. And the rest is not history because it took a lot. But again, focus, determination. Today, we're doing exciting things in the gas sector. Next slide, please. So gas itself... Some people say, oh, I want to do gas business. And then I ask, which gas? Because you see, the gas we're talking about is not the one you cook in your house with. So for you to even understand why I've put this slide is to say, look, bottom line is there's research to be done. Which gas is it? If you look at this drawing, the whole thing, all one, two, three, green, yellow, red put together is what is called natural gas. But there are different types of gas. Out of the same natural gas, you can get LPG. That's the one we cook with. That's the one in the, some industries use. You can get natural gas liquids. So the question is, you want to enter gas, which one? Next slide. Even in the gas sector, after you've figured out which 
kind of gas you're talking about. There's another value chain. Do you want to get into production? Do you want to get into the transportation or, I mean, which sector? Bottom line is, nothing good comes easy. And in today's knowledge-driven economy, nobody has any excuses anymore. Back in the day, there was no internet. We didn't have a single computer. We had one little <laughs> two-by-two manual typewriter, which I'm sure if I showed my children now, they would ask, what is that? The other day, my children saw a picture of their father holding his um, Nokia, what's then a multi-links phone. <laughs> and my daughter said, mommy, why is daddy holding a POS? <laughs> So the oil and gas industry is also one that is very challenging. And I will run through this because, quite frankly, in my view, much as I know I, I was to speak about the industry, in my view, business is challenging. So there are some peculiar things about the industry, however. It's very technical. Yes, you may be seeing yourself as just a supply or service provider at some lower end of the value chain, but there's a ripple effect that ends up impacting projects that are running into hundreds of millions of billions of naira and dollars. So it's very technical, it's very capital intensive, it's a knowledge-driven industry. It's an industry that is very sensitive to quality, to safety, to time, to cost. And these are things that for us we had to pay attention to right from the beginning. But I will say that perhaps it wasn't too difficult for us because we made up our minds at the beginning that you know what, almost every great company that you see was started by one person or two or three. And if they did it, then we can do it, but we have to do the things that it takes. There must be the discipline to do the right things and get the results we're looking for. Um, it's an industry that is largely, of course, regulated by the government. There are policy issues. There are just so many issues. There are issues of security. We are familiar with um, Niger Delta issues and so on and so forth. So it's not an easy industry. And that means that anybody that is thinking about going into that industry should not be expecting an easy ride. It's an industry where there's a lot of um, People that have had, they have been tried, they've been tested, they have the experience, they've built the reputation. So when you're coming as a new player, the question would be, what's your differentiating factor? What are you offering that would make somebody want to give you a chance? You can't in 2014 make the kind of mistake we made in 1994 by thinking that just because Audrey and Joe have registered a business, then Portacot should be excited. Nobody's going to be excited because you're here you are the one that has to decide that you're going to come and excite the system. Next slide. So, charting your course. What does it take? Next slide, please. If I want to look at Falcon, look at 20 years, if you want to ask me, what, what do you think are the big things that have helped us to succeed? I've said the first one, which is this, that you must have a picture of something that is bigger than yourself and be ready to do the work. And you know, people are going to discourage you continuously. They're going to discourage you in small things. They're going to discourage you in big things. And I'll give you an example. As simple as that, I went to Shell. I liked the way the receptionist processed us as visitors. I went to my little one-to-one Biaba route and redesigned the same kind of visitor's form, put the process in place and told my type is this is what we're going to be doing when people come. It didn't matter that people hardly ever came. This is what we're going to do. And then some people will say to you, oh, what kind, what's the word? What's that thing we say? It, what kind of ferity is this? You hear it all the time, right? 
You hear it all the time. Every time you try to do something unique, something different, there's going to be someone that comes and tells you, where do you think you're? Do you think you're in America? Do you think... But you see, if you know what you're building, if you know what you're building, if you know that you're building according to the master planner's template and principles, then you always have to be focused on quality, on best practices, on continuous improvement. So one of the things that I know from time we have refused to accept is this is the way we do it. Because we get into the molds of this is the way we do things here. And we don't realize that we're keeping ourselves from moving forward. We don't speak that language in Falcon. We're always asking, what can we do better? And the ideas can come from anybody. It's always been that way. Owner manager accountability is key. For those of us that are entrepreneurs that actually not just own the business, but run the business, it's a big issue, being able to discipline yourself. So traditionally what happens is as the business is young and growing, the business bank account is whose bank account? Where's the checkbook? In your bag, it's in your briefcase and stuff like that. You just, you just do whatever you like, it's my business. But when you begin to think in terms of building something that will outlast you, then you begin to think in terms of how do I separate myself from the business such that I'm not taking decisions that hold the business back. So if I'm broke, I'm broke. If I'm broke, I'm broke. Doesn't mean I put my hand into my business and take money from there and things like that. So we had to really just try to discipline ourselves. One of the things that really helped us was that we... Um, partnered with a venture capital association um, company at some point where we had to do a project, we didn't have the money, and we had to give out part of our business. Most people said to us, don't do it. Don't do it. How do you lose control? How do you give out shares to people that they're taking over your business, this and that? And we said to them, you know what? We would rather own 60% of a company that has the potential to be a billion naira company than hold on to control and 100% of a company that was struggling to survive. And this is something that I would also like to drop, that at some point, it's not about, this is my business, I own it. You may need to give out shares, you may need to partner with people, you may need to, in quotes, lose some control so that your business can grow. It's not a me, myself, and I approach if you need to grow. Um, very clear values and principles. So very early in our business, to the glory of God, I can't always um, tell you that we're very nice, strong Christians, no. But something happened in about, I think it was in 1998 or thereabouts, we're going through such a difficult time, there was no money anywhere. And we had just 1,000 naira left that day. And I'm talking the business didn't have money, we had just 1,000. And my husband said to me, let's tie this money tomorrow at church. And I said, after that, what next? He said, it doesn't matter. Let's just do it. And let's try and see if this tithing thing works. And so went to church and we tithed the money. And I looked at him and I said, ah, okay, here we are. But the next day on the Monday, we got a call and a check that had been outstanding for about seven months or eight. They just called us to say it's ready. It was almost like magic. But that was the trigger that said to us, you know what, you need to sort of just take this business and leave it in God's hand and trust that he that gave it to you is able to sustain you. And that's exactly what we've done. So we're very big in Falcon around celebrating God in our business. We're very big about sticking to the ethics of things. We maybe would have been much bigger than we are today if we had done certain things. But at the end of the day, we believe that God is not going to judge us just for the Sunday and Wednesday times with him. 
We spend most of our lives in the office. Most of what we do, the decisions we take, the people we relate with, it's in the office. And so we're trying to be very mindful of the fact that if we can go at any time, we'll be held accountable of the totality, for the totality of the lives that we have lived. We try to share this also with our people to say, look, we've gotten so far by the grace of God and we will continue to grow so far by the grace of God. It's not about winning the applause of men. So it doesn't matter even if it takes us another 20 years to double our size. It's okay, as long as God is pleased with it. Um, so key lessons, because I see my time is far running out. Instinct. Entrepreneurs are people who can tell you that they just know an idea will work. And you need to be able to run with your instincts. You need to be able to run with your instincts. And you know why? It's because the instincts are things that are put. It's actually the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's that simple. Sometimes you can't explain it, but you just know. The minute you begin to listen to too many things that are negative around you, then you begin to sink. Run with your instincts. Sometimes you can't know how or why, but you just know and run with it. Resilience is key. You will be tried. You will be tested. But you have to hang in there. There have been times in our business when we turned 10, shortly after we turned 10, we couldn't pay salaries. We couldn't. It was so bad. There was no money anywhere. And we began to think, what are we going to do? How? How? We had discounted every invoice. The jobs were not coming. And we had all these people to pay, bills to pay. It wasn't a time to give up. But we did come up with something, though. We had to be real, and we said to everyone, listen, guys, is it that we let go of half of you or all of us top-down take half salary? And everybody agreed. It was a staff decision, and they decided, don't sack anybody, we'll all go on half salary. And what we thought would last for a few months lasted for about a year, seven months. But in that time, we kept pushing, we kept pressing, we kept trying. Everybody was hands-on trying to see how to make things work. It was in this time that we got the Korodu gas distribution franchise that today is the major cash cow for the business. Never give up. Keep pushing. There'll be times when it looks desperate, but there is no way that the God that you serve can put a dream in your heart and give up on you halfway. It's not mildly possible. The enemy's job is to distract, is to derail, is to frustrate. And the only way you can do that is to put obstacles in your path, isn't it? But when you look at those obstacles and declare that the one who gave you this vision in the first place is able to help you overcome, and you just try to stay sensitive to his voice so that you know what step to do, he gives us witty ideas. He will give you something creative. And the next thing you know, the problem becomes something you refer to as, do you remember that time? And that's the way it will always be for his children in Jesus' name. Audacity is key. You have to embrace the unfamiliar. If we stay in the places that we always know, we do not grow. Some of the projects we're chasing now as a company, <laughs> I think when you hear them, you'll be like, uh-uh. Because sometimes when we hear them ourselves, when we talk about them, they are so big, they are so bold. But it's the same way we started talking about gas distribution that we knew absolutely nothing about, and it became a reality. That's saying that you eat the elephant one bite at a time. All these nice worldly expressions, they actually have their foundation in the word of God. Very simple. Look the things in the face and decide, I'm going to do this. For the simple reason that every other person that has done something unique 
I said something earlier at another event today. I am yet to see a two-headed individual. Anybody seen? Anybody? If they can do it, and if we're all created in the image and in the likeness of God, if the same breath of God is upon all of us, then there are things we can do if we refuse to let fear hold us back. Be audacious. The righteous are bold as a lion. Leadership is key. So I've learned in this space of time that as a business person, as an entrepreneur, you have to lead and you have to lead by example. That people are paying attention to more than your supposed company policies and all those things we put in place or don't put in place. They are paying attention to you, the person. They are paying attention to the values you live and exemplify. And people buy into you. And people, it's not about how much you pay them, people buy into you. We have a lot of our staff who have been with us for more than 10 years. 10 years, 14 years, and the like. I like to think it's because we are setting a good example for leadership. We're in the trenches with our people. You know, when it's time to do the work, we're there. We're committed. We're not disengaged. Leadership is key. That's one of the things I've found. It's not just about I'm the entrepreneur, I'm the ogre. The ogre mentality is a big problem in our environment. Don't be the ogre, be a leader. Next slide. Um, authenticity. Be true to yourself. Admit what you don't know and look for who can help you. There's nothing wrong with saying I don't know doesn't take anything away from you. I think that the world today has caused us to, there's too much posing, there's too much, um, uh, you know, we, we put on this, this false facade and it doesn't allow us to be open to admit when we need help. An entrepreneur needs to be able to, you know, say that, look, I don't know what to do. How can you help me? It doesn't take anything out of you. This one key thing that I've learned that if you know how to express where your pain points are, then people, especially if they bought into you, are able to come up with solutions that you can run with and sort out at the most difficult points in your business. People recognize when you're being true, when you're being genuine, and because of that, they go out of their way. Relationships and that kind of goodwill are things that you can't afford to toy with as an entrepreneur. Building networks is, is every, you know, everybody, everybody talks today about networks, networks. But there's no point just building networks for the numbers. We have to be building networks for the quality and what they can bring to you and what you can give back in return. Humility. That as entrepreneurs, we must be sure we are seeking heaven's applause. You know, it gets to a point, especially as you begin to grow. Even when you are small, you find that... You know, everybody's already looking up to you. So here we are, Falcon Petroleum. Everybody wants me to employ their sister, their cousin. Everybody's their ma, sa. If you're not careful, you get carried away. And when you're missing it, you will not know. Humility is what opens us and endears us to people. We just have to be real with ourselves. Faith. Keeping God in the mix. A lot of the time we hear it's everywhere. Don't mix religion and business. I beg to differ. From day one, I maintain. The person that put the dream in me, you can't explain how he, I don't know how old I was, would suddenly decide I'm going to run a conglomerate. How wise was I? Nothing. It's God. He drops the idea. He has planted the seed. He has empowered you with everything you need. And then he allows it to unfold. He's the one who knows the end from the beginning, isn't it? So how is it that when your business starts to grow, 
how do you go from microbiology to engineering and make a success of it? How do you, in an industry where you're not connected to anybody, don't know nobody except yourself, and then somehow doors open for you? It's God. How do you maintain 20 years of working side by side with your spouse successfully? Your marriage has not scattered. Your home has not scattered. There's only word for it is grace. How do you, from nowhere, win a gas franchise? That's a long story, but I can tell you at the end of the day, it's only God, it's only grace. How do you get people who for no reason just decide they're going to put their lives and work and support with you? It's only God, it's, not, it's only grace. It's not because you're too wise or too smart or too whatever. So when your business is doing well and people are telling you, oh no, stop this God thing, please tell them, my life is a grace testimony. And there is no time that I'm going to deny the God that has given me the power to get wealth, the God that fills me with wisdom and knowledge, the God that causes me to prosper at no point in time. And you know what? Just quickly, let me say this, that if you go into an office of Muslims or Buddhists or whatever else, what happens? From the outside, you are seeing all those things. And in the middle of your meeting, somebody tells you, I have to go and do what? Pray. And then Christians, before your board meeting, before your management meeting, somebody says, let us pray, and some people roll their eyes. No. God must be glorified in everything that we do. We must position our businesses at kingdom platforms. And we must have the faith in this same God to take us to levels that we ourselves have not begun to fathom. And then, lastly, I just had some scriptures that I, I personally just love. They minister to me. So we have, I don't know if you can see it well, like Isaiah 52 and verse 13. I am the servant of the Lord. And for that singular reason, I shall deal wisely and I shall prosper. There are scriptures that mean so much to me. As a business person, there are things that guide me. There are things I used to, to pray. And I just want us to pray. I think I had pastor's permission for this. And actually, I want to pray for one particular group of people first. Because I know I find them all the time. There have been people who have started one thing, it dies. Another thing, it dies. Maybe you've given up. Or maybe you have something and it's still struggling. And you're wondering when. So I just want to ask that if we can please just rise, all of us, because it applies to us in one area of our life or the other. But there are some people that know themselves. You don't have to. It's not about showing hands or all that. That's, <laughs> you've just tried and tried and tried. And sometimes you wonder. Some of you are back in a job because the business you are doing, you can't figure where it is going. But that the, the word of God is that even that there is hope, there is hope for a tree, even if it has been cut off. Even it has, if it has been cut off. That at the scent of water, what is going to happen? It will sprout. But what is the scent of water? That's the difference. The scent of water is us plugging back into God. It's us just saying that, you know, Lord, I'm giving you this. It's us saying that, you know, those funny things I did that I thought would help my business to grow. Sorry for trying to help you, Lord. 
I'm coming back wholly and fully to you. I'm coming back to say, Father, give me a new idea. Or the one that you gave me before, Father, did I mismanage it? Lord, renew my mind, refresh my spirit, renew my thinking. Father, doors that seem to have been closed, open them to me, O oh God. Father, help me such that everything that I want to do with this business, the one that has died, the one I'm struggling with, now help me to just realize that this is for your glory and your glory alone. Father, let me hear the scent of water. Holy Spirit, even now, let us pray. Please, let us pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. If you are a worker and you have a brother, a cousin, a sister, parents that are struggling in business, pray, lift it up, that the scent of water will cause things that seem to have died, will cause them to bud again, to bud, to flourish and bloom in the name of Jesus. That even in these times when there's an economic downturn, there are all sorts of situations and circumstances that are mitigating against businesses. That because we have determined today, we're coming back to say that the businesses we do, the things that we do, that they are about God. That they are a platform through which we are going to touch people with the love of God. For this singular reason, Father, release fresh grace in the name of Jesus. Lord, you are this, that in the end, oh God, the true applause will be coming from heaven. That will not be overtaken by the applause and accolades of men, but that we will walk according to the leanings of your spirit and know that indeed in the things that we do, both in work and business, whatever it may be, our lives will truly be testaments of your grace, of your glory, of your mercy in the name of Jesus. Father, we worship you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you very much, Matt. I found that very inspiring. Um, thank you. Very Let's put our hands together again for Mrs. I, I want to be like you when I grow up. <laughs> and when you mentioned... I, I, thought, I thought that I was your junior sister. Ah, uh, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> when you mentioned your husband, you studied microbiology, your husband studied zoology. I studied zoology for two years, so it, I immediately knew that <laughs> there was something there. <laughs> Praise God. Okay, a couple of, couple of questions. Uh, if you have any more questions, if you just pass them to the ushers, uh, they'll send it up to me. If we still have time, we'll take them. But um, one thing that um, struck me, Ma, is that you, you and your husband have tenacity. You're very determined people. And is that a virtue that people in our generation have? In, when you said in, in year 10, you had an issue. I was like, in year 10, you have an issue. I'm just wondering, where did you get that from? Where's that, that drive? Where is it from? What, what drives you? What motivates you? Um, personally, what I say is my, my personal mission statement is to add value to the lives of everyone that comes into my space. And I think that um, I would take it as a gift from God. It's my, it's my makeup. I'm the one who, as a child, um, till today, a lot of people think I'm the oldest in the family because somehow I've always been the mother hen, the one that organizes everybody <laughs> type thing, um, even in primary school. That sense of uh, responsibility towards others. Um, it's been there since I was a child. Um, I'm not sure that I can say, oh, I got it from my parents or anything. I really just believe that there's a nature that God puts in all of us, and it's up to us to see how we apply that towards 
the same passions that he also gives us. So every day for me is that sense of making a difference and um, walking through challenges also feeds into that same space because every time you overcome something, you know, you can see even the people on your teams, it's like there's, a, there's that collective sense of we've done something, there's a feel good and that makes me feel good. I like to think I'm an encourager by nature and um, nature is God. So it comes back to the same space. Thank you very much. Clap, clap. A couple of questions. One question I'll try to ask. Did you ever work for anyone? No, not at all. <laughs> okay. Um, my, let me qualify. My work experiences before I graduated, I had twice I did vacation jobs for like two weeks, three weeks to keep myself busy. And of course, there was youth service. But other than that, I finished my MBA on one day. And a week later, I moved to Port Harcourt, And that's really the way it went. Okay, because I had two questions and where people say, look, um, to work in a particular industry, you need some sort of experience. Uh, you need to have worked for other people. I've actually told people this before. So, so and what do you, I mean, was your case different or would you, so someone wants to get into oil and gas, for example, should they go work for someone else or should they just jump out like you did? Well, this is, you know, I said you have to be true to yourself. Everybody's story is so different. So... Perhaps there are some people about to graduate now and then you think, oh, she didn't work for anybody. I'm not going to work for anybody. That may not be your path. Some people need to have built muscles working for someone else. Not everybody in the first place is called to be an entrepreneur. I know there's a lot of hype about entrepreneurship right now. And we must be very careful as people that we don't get into the hype it's very topical now, I'm starting my own business, I'm running my own business, I'm starting my own company. If it is not for you, and quite frankly, if you've not heard from God, don't you dare. And even when he gives you the idea, allow him to also tell you when to step out. If everybody's an entrepreneur, who is going to work for the entrepreneurs? Some of us need to build our muscles in entrepreneurship. Some of us will not start until we're 50. Some of us will start when we're 11. Some of us will get to 65 and suddenly realize, oh, I've done this all my life. Now I can consult and that becomes your business. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. Let's not get carried away by every, she spoke so well. Ah, This is, in fact, this is the way for me. I'm not the voice of God to you. He will speak to you. Thank, thank you. But I still want to be like you when I grow up. Not a problem. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I, I asked myself this when I was thinking about asking a question. If you, if you look back, so it's 20 years now, is there anything you did that you would like to have done differently? Is there anything, if you look at your, your, your track as an entrepreneur, is there, are there things you did that you would say, I would love to have done this differently or earlier or faster, anything at all? Certainly. I would tell you, first of all, that um, if I go back to the beginning, I think I would have liked to have been more um, strategic about the people that I brought into the company at the beginning, both, both in terms of other shareholders, in terms of staff, you know. So we made a lot of the traditional mistakes that unfortunately people continue to make till today, and they held us back a bit. I think that if I look back, I would have done a lot more research. Okay, so it's, it's what happens is we're running the business, 
It's exciting, it's challenging, there's a lot of firefighting, you don't really have a lot of time to think. But there's some people who take the time and go and spend maybe the little money they don't have. They're talking to consultants, they're talking to people who've been there before them, they're getting advice, they're getting counsel. We just jumped in feet first. And that took us, you know, I, I believe that the learning cycle was a lot longer. And so a lot of what I do today when I'm speaking to people about um, running businesses is I'm trying to see, like Pastor said earlier, if I can help you get to the next level in less than 20 years or as many years as it took us to break, you know, that. that. So going back, I would say I wish that I had been more strategic in terms of how I gathered knowledge and the people that we brought on our teams to help us to move forward and been been um, bold enough to make some of the kind of decisions that entrepreneurs need to make short and sharp and quick and deal with, especially as relates to people. When you know the ro you have the wrong people on your team, as much as you like them, you have to fire them. And I'm not sure we did very well with that and it held us back quite a bit in one or two cases. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I was looking at your blog. There's um, one of your blogs um, this this afternoon also, and there was a phrase there that says business is spiritual, and I, I, well, I'm, I'm an associate pastor, so I should understand what it means, uh, but I really do understand. So that's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> okay. Business is spiritual for me means that um, one of the things I say is that. God was not looking for people to fill space on the earth. So when he created each of us, each of us had a purpose. And there's nothing happening on the earth now that is man's idea. So even the concept of business, of trading, is God's idea. Now, business is spiritual means that the mountain that God has given to me or to any entrepreneur is the mountain of business. That's what he's placed in my hand to use for his work. And if I see it that way, it means that everything I'm doing, I'm thinking in terms of how does this further the work of the kingdom. So a lot of people believe that, okay, I'm running a Christian business. Or, I mean, there's nothing like that. I hope we know. There's nothing like a Christian business. There is a business that is run by Christians according to Christian principles. And that means that if we're thinking about, yeah, because your business does not exist. I hope you know. Like I say to my staff, if everybody walks outside, I would like to see Falcon's office reply an email. It's not possible. It's the people. And if each of us is realizing that the assignment we have is a kingdom assignment, then we're thinking, we're more mindful about the things that we do, the way we relate with other people, and so on and so forth. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very, very much. Um, so it's, it's 20 years. You're... you're um Choosing partners, your, in your case, you've worked with your husband. Is that, that's a very unique model. How have you, so in brother, so the brother sense, how, do you, how would you advise people to choose partners? You were talking about being strategic in relationships, but how has it been, and is that, is that a peculiar thing, you know, working with your husband um, as a partner for 20 years? That's, that's different. Yes. It's, um, it's different, but it's not uncommon. We actually have a lot of couples working together. Unfortunately, we have more of them telling you horror stories <laughs> about how that relationship has been, and that's not our story. Um, so choosing partners would be, for me, about looking at, at people that you have shared values with. So it's, it goes beyond, oh, I have the idea he has money. 
It goes beyond always a friend of mine. That's what usually happens. No, we just got together. And when the quarrel comes along the line, you, the friendship is all out of the window because you have wrong values. You need to understand, um, do people have the same vision? for instance. And then beyond all the, um, yes, the vision and the values is also from the beginning mapping out each other's responsibilities and documenting them. So what tends to happen is that people are starting businesses, you know, there's nothing on ground, so we are all hustling, so we don't write anything down, we just keep going. And then suddenly you find one person or two are doing all the work, then the money comes in and then other people show up, we begin to quarrel because we haven't sorted it out. Or we're both moving forward. Something that comes dressed as an opportunity comes. One person thinks we should go ahead. The other one is saying, no, this is against what I believe in. There's a problem. So I think that it's important in choosing partners to ask yourself, what do you need the partners for? Let's define it. What is that partner bringing in? What am I bringing in? What kind of values do we share? And let's sit down. Let's talk about them. Let's ask ourselves what are the touchy areas and sort them out before we start. And whatever we agree, let's document as early as possible. Let's both sign off and then we take it from there. Prayerfully, you know, if you follow it in that way, it's a lot easier than just jumping in because I like this guy. I think we can do great things together. Working with your spouse is also not for everybody. It's not for everybody, but if you do decide to do it, what I would advise is this. Try to remember that husband and wife is in the house, in the office, professional colleagues. And that means if you keep asking yourself, for instance, my husband is my MD. So if I were working for Zenith Bank, even if I'm an ED in Zenith Bank, when we're at a management meeting, how far can I push? No, it must be like this. How am I going to talk to my MD? How, if I need to get approval from him, what is required for me to do? If you put yourself in that professional space in the office, it just makes it a whole lot easier. It's a lot easier when you deal with each other as professionals in the workplace. Thank, thank you very much. I'll take two, let's put our hands together for, for two very quick questions. Uh, you spoke about research, doing proper research, and, and that's one thing I hear a lot. The fact that in our environment, it's uh, difficult to get proper or correct data. Um, even uh, inflation rate, for example, we have different sources with different ideas what it should be in employment and all. So how do you do research if you've got a bright idea, you've got a dream? How would you advise a young person, perhaps in oil and gas, where the best places to go to, what are the kind of things you should do to get research, you go and get training, where can you get training, stuff like that? Well, that kind of a question is, again, too broad. Because, uh, yeah, I'll tell you why. Because, um, as I said earlier, there are different services, different um, support kind of, um, there are different fields. So even being able to reference what kind, where would you go to for help, or where would you get the kind of research, what kind of training is now a function of what is it that you want to do. But one thing I find that works, I mean, a big problem for young entrepreneurs is resources. So we don't really have the money. So even if I give you a whole list of consultants, probably you can't afford them. It's a big issue. It's a real issue. But somehow, we don't leverage on um, the networks that we have access to directly or indirectly. So you find, for instance, that you come for, we have this kind of a meeting. And like I said earlier today, you would find that some people will live here and all they will say is, oh, she spoke very well. Ah, some will collect your complimentary card. That's the end of it. But there'll be somebody that knows, if I could get 30 minutes with you to discuss this is what I want to do, what do you think? And those kind of people are all around us. 
we say that you are, you are, I don't think it's up to six people away from the person you need to meet now. But there's work to be done. There's effort to be made. And sometimes we allow um, very silly pride. So you, need, you don't want to go and ask so you don't seem needy. Or you go, you need to wait, and you start thinking, why should I be here, and things like that. There are people who are available in the space you're interested in that you can get to and spend time and talk to them and come out with you know, something more robust. And like I said earlier, whether we like it or not, the internet is there. There are a multitude of sites, even sites of a lot of organizations now have all sorts of materials, published articles, research work that has already been done. But if you don't go and plug in and study and be able to ask discerning questions, then it's no fault of anybody. This has nothing to do with what you can afford now. Almost every website you go to in the field, the industry you are in, the bigger companies have very robust websites. There's a lot of material presentations, research articles that you can read and they feed you know, the knowledge that you already have. But I, I believe there's nothing that beats having a one-on-one -on -one practical encounter with somebody who is already in the field that can tell you some practical things that no research is going to be able to tell you. Okay, thank you very much. Um, my last question, I think, yeah. Um, I, corruption is a big deal in Nigeria. And, and I, from what I hear, in the oil and gas sector, it's, it's a very big deal. Um, how have you managed this? It's 20 years. Corruption is a big issue, and the oil and gas industry is not immune. When we started the business, we thought that because it was mostly multinationals in the field, that there was nothing like that. And I remember that um, we kept, we had this particular guy who was my husband's former student, and we thought he was in a position to at least get us to tender for projects. You know, it's one thing to register. Even getting them to now put you on a bid tender list is another big issue. And we kept going to see him saying, look, just give us the opportunity to bid and all that. And one day he laughed and said to us, you, you people think that uh, I'm here for nothing. Eh? And we're looking at him like, are you kidding? He was actually telling us this one gave him a TV, this one. And we left very quietly that day and we were quite amazed. So it's there. It has always been there. How have we overcome it? Well, we have been very determined from day one. There are some things we will not do. And that's why I said earlier that is impacting on, on our growth. We could have been bigger than this. Opportunities, in, in quotation marks again, they come. And then somebody starts to tell you it's just that you have to do this, you have to do that. And we say we don't do that. So people have known us for, you know, you these Falcon people, it's because you don't do this. That's why jobs are not coming. It's fine. What I know is that if we take the Korodu gas franchise, I know time is fast spent, so I can't share that story in detail. But it was a story of a company that has just been moving slowly and steadily. And then we saw an opportunity that was much bigger than us, and we said, let's tender for it. We didn't know anybody. We just kept submitting, and somehow we would win the bid, we would hear that there's pressure from the bigger people. They will set another obstacle. We will go back. We will run around, put everything together, and submit. And we spent a lot of time at some point trying to see how we would get to see the president because we wanted to go and make an appeal to him. He's been pushing for indigenization at that point in time. And we wanted to be able to go and say, look, we're an indigenous company. We just need to be given the opportunity. And we never got to see him. But God being God, the feedback we got when the award came, 
was that it's the same president that we never saw who now said, but these people, are they multinational? He said, no, they are Nigerians. And he said, give it to them. And everybody said, ah, but they don't have money. It's just one man and his wife. And then the president then, as we were told, said, give them. If they fail, then you give someone else. But I said Nigerians first, and that's what we're going to do. Now, the fact that we got that franchise, um, again, to show you God is always there. Before the award came, somebody gave us a connection to the venture capital group that took part of our company. She just said to me, oh, these people want to invest in my business. Take their number. Maybe one day you'll need it. Like three months before the award, and then suddenly the award came. We made the call, had the meetings, and the investment was made. The truth is that just being able to say no and stand back is difficult because the temptations are there. You know, these things come and the arguments, they have the way they arrange the arguments, it makes sense. <laughs> let's be fair, let's be real. They have the way they will arrange it that if you're not paying attention, it sounds like, okay, it's actually not, but the truth is you will always know. And when you know the ability to stay, no, and just stand back, it will take you longer. But when your break comes, nobody can take it away from you. So the break we have gotten has taken us out of that space of begging for jobs. Right now, the business is self-sustaining. We still want to grow. So yes, it'd be nice to get other jobs, but the things we're focusing on are still things that will put us in an independent space where rather than looking for somebody's face, people should be looking for us. So my encouragement to everybody on this issue is please just try, it's so hard. I will not pretend it's not. It's really, really hard. But please remember that when you succumb to some of these pressures, <laughs> please remember you don't know when you're going. May you not be caught in the middle of something that heaven will not accept. Amen. <laughs> Last words. I, I, I just feel strongly impressed to ask you to, if there are people who are in that valley of decision, the place where they are dittering between, should they start a business or not? Or they started something. I know you spoke to and prayed for people like that. Would you just you know, say something to them and we'll round up? When people who are trying to decide whether to start a business or not, First of all, is ask yourself, what is motivating you? First of all, what is the pressure point? Is it financial? Is it people around you saying, or is it because everybody around you is doing this? Or do you have a word? That's the first thing. Ask yourself what this thing is. If it is a word that you have, and then you're dithering because of fear, you just have to step out. You just have to step out. The irony about entrepreneurship is that there are many people who had all the money and came out and it collapsed around them. Many. There are many people who have inherited some business from, you know what, they can't tell the same kind of stories we tell. But if you are sure at that point in time that God is telling you to step out, step out, irrespective of what you think you don't have, and trust him. But trusting him demands that you must be sensitive to his voice and his leading. But if you know without a shadow of doubt that it is born out of pressures around you, man-induced, please don't walk another person's path. You will fail. Thank you very much. You've been a huge, huge inspiration and we can't thank you enough. Let's put our hands together and celebrate Mrs. Audrey. Thank you so much.